It's good to see you today. If you will, take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We continue our series through the book of the Revelation. Titled it, the series, The Unveiling. The Unveiling. We have been running around chapter 1. For quite a while. So we kind of know that John wrote, John the Apostle, not John the Less, not John the, uh, uh, the Baptist, but John the Apostle, John the Beloved, penned this. As we'll see in a second when we read, he was on the Isle of Patmos. This was likely a low point in the life of John. By this time, John was in his late 80s or 90s. He's the one that, that walked with Jesus. He, he placed his faith in Jesus, and now he was alone on the Isle of Patmos because of Jesus. Over the past, 30, over the past 60 years, since Jesus had ascended back, brothers and sisters had banded together in a close-knit uh, band because they were under such intense pressure. This was unusual. This situation where he was on the Isle of Patmos was unusual because they had spent so much time together. Their faith drew them together. It pulled them together. And now he's out on this island all by himself. And it's in this situation, it's in this scenario that God chose, God in his sovereignty chose to send to him a message for mankind, a message for the brothers and sisters, a message for all those who sure could use a little good news today. Hello? And that's what this was. I don't know where you are in your world today. I don't know what's going on in your world today. But if you find yourself having some struggles, you find some se- yourself having some discouragement, if you find yourself having some difficulties... If the world seems unfair or unkind, I want to tell you this message today should be a message that you will not lose hope. You will not give up. You will not lose faith. Because here's what I want you to understand. God is with you. God will be with you just like he was with John. He's ready to offer you everything you Everything you need, he's ready to offer you words like he does here. And, and not, just, not just words in the Bible. How do I know this? Because the God who sent his message through Jesus to his servant John so that his servant John might deliver this message is the same God who is watching over you Today, He is watching over you, He is watching over your life, He is watching over your soul, and He really wants to. Here's the deal, God wants to speak hope into your life and help into your life to give you a life that you can't even imagine. And so He is the God who reminds us of who He is of who we are, of whose we are, and his plans. 
So today we're going to read verses 9 through verse 18 of Revelation chapter 1. Uh, You're going to be seated for a few moments, so why don't you stand to honor the reading of God's Word, and let's read this for those who can stand. If you can, it's okay. We pick up in verse 9, follow along, for this is indeed God's holy Word. I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I'll take a break there and just tell you that tells us that he was there. He was sentenced there for doing nothing else than just living for and preaching Jesus. Just for what you're doing today. Verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze or brass as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. The living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for the moments that we have together, we implore you to be among us. We implore you to let us sense your spirit manifestly in this room. We implore you to speak into our hearts the words that you would have us to hear today. We want no truth but yours, no word but yours. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to notice on the on the sign over here. New Hope folks have have seen this for years. Our our core beliefs, the Bible is our guidebook. God loves us, has a plan for us. All people matter to God. We seek to honor God in all we do. And then I want you to look at number five. The local church. The local church is the hope of the world. That is critically true. That is true no matter what. 
Do you know why? It is because Jesus commissioned. He he established the church. He lived for the church. He died for the church. One day he's coming back for the church. And he commissioned the church to fulfill his mission, to fulfill his ministry. And you know what his mission is? To make disciples of all people. That's what he told us. In other words, we're to be disciples who are making disciples. And I can go so far to say is that a congregation who is not making disciples is not, does not have the hope of the world. It's not the hope of the world. But if we do what he told us to do, we become the hope for all nations. Now, when I look at John in this book, I look at John... I see that John was one of the closest people to Jesus, and now John is the one that Jesus selected to carry this message. And Jesus arguably said, I'm going to write a message to the churches. All seven of those are local churches. The churches, so they will offer hope to this world of hopelessness. They will offer help to this world of helplessness. They'll offer salvation to the world of lostness. So today... We're going to learn from John. And we're going to do it in word pictures. I have four or five that I just want to share with you, and I want us to get our heads around. The first word when we're talking about John is the word partnership. Partnership. Now, that doesn't sound like a spiritual word, but it is. If you look up here in verse 9, and you can just keep your Bible open because we're going to kind of scroll down as we as we pull out what John helped us with. He says, I, John, your brother and... Can you read that word with me loud enough that I can hear it? I, John, your brother and... No, you can't read it loud enough. Let's try it again. I, John, your brother and... Partner. Partner. Your partner. You know, this is when you read this, it's almost like a legal affidavit. He's laying out his course. I, John, your brother and partner, you cut through the chase, and this is what John's reminding his readers of. He is reminding them that we are in this thing together. There are no big shots and little shots in the family of God. We all should be shot, likely. Because he is the one we point our attention to. But folks, you and I are bound together. We are bonded together. Because we have been birthed together in the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, and through the blood of Jesus. Matthew 12 tells us that from the mouth of Jesus, he said, You are my brothers and sisters if you do the will of the Father. That makes us a family business. Hello, folks? A family business. Remember a Gaither's old song, and I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We sing it. We can sing it by memory. But you know what the verse says? You will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family, and these folks are so dear. You see, what he is saying to them, this is how he begins it. He says, we are in this family business. Now, what is this family business? Is it building a church? No. Jesus said he'll build a church. You know what the family business is? Listen, brothers. Listen, sisters. It's the gospel of Jesus. 
It's the gospel. It's the, what has the power to, to take a life that's on the road to destruction and, and put, place it on a road to life. It's a 180-degree term. It is the gospel of Jesus that lifts and saves. And brothers and sisters and companions and everybody else, we are partners in this thing. And when you, and when you look at John and you look at the business of the gospel... There are some things that you and I don't want to mention, but John did. He said, uh, we're brothers and um, your, your brother and partner, watch this, in the affliction. Anybody here really want to hear Brother Jerry talk about affliction more than he has to? You, wanna, you want to live in affliction? The reason that John pointed toward the affliction is for now 60 years since Jesus, don't you get this? Jesus died and ascended between 32 and 35 A.D. This was 95 A.D. when he's writing these words. So now John is probably in his late 80s, early 90s, and for 60 years since Jesus ascended, they've been telling people about Jesus, and they've been persecuted for no other reason than telling people about Jesus, for no other reason than going to Services for no other reason than fellowship and day by day. They they had been experiencing dire persecution. You think about it, by ninety five, most all of the apostles in fact all of the apostles were dead. You think about it, Saul of Tarsus came on the scene and he was dead. Already persecution was taking hold in what he's saying. And now John is out on this island, and he knows what he's going through. But he knows what those folks back on the mainland are going through. And he knows that they were connected together. He says the affliction, but he also mentions the kingdom, and he mentions endurance or patience. Patience of waiting for the kingdom. Let me just give you this word. We're going to pass this. Many of us today are going through trials and troubles. Maybe not many are going through that just simply because of our faith. If you are, it's an encouraging word for you. We go through those trials and troubles like they did, but here's the deal. We just think about it. Eric had no way to know what the content of this message was today. But there is a better day coming. Jesus is indeed coming soon. You can only imagine what it looks like. But we are in a partnership. That's what he says. You may not like this partnership. You may not have realized it when you trusted Christ. You may not want to be in the partnership. But when Jesus came into your life like my life and he saved you like he did me, When he did that, the weight of this partnership now presses in on our shoulders. And one day we'll be accountable for it. One day we'll be accountable for those who live right around here and don't even know Genesis from Revelation and don't know who Jesus is. It's a partnership. When I think about his partnership... And I read this text. The second thing that comes to my mind as I get to verse 10. 
And I'm going to tell you, I preached through the book of the Revelation three t- on three different occasions over the last 30 years. And what I'm about to tell you leaped off the page at me this week. The word is priority. The word is priority. Look in verse 10. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice. Just kind of let that, let that sink into you, because it dawned on me this week that, that, that those three little phrases are pregnant with contemporary meaning. And meaning like many of us have never embraced or thought about. I mean, you think about his priority, what it could have been. He's out here, he's out here on a on a island all by himself. Out here on an island all by himself. What could have his priorities been? What could his priorities have been? I mean, he could have been having a pity party. You know, I know this doesn't sound like any of you or me, but he could have said, all I did was preach the gospel. All I did was tell people about Jesus. All I did was do what God called me to, and look where I am. He could have just been, he could have been letting the situation run him over, but you know what he did? He focused otherwise. Now, I want to take this because this is what jumped out at me. And I may make some of you mad. Let's put it in kind of sequential order. On the Lord's day. On the Lord's day. He knew as we should know, that the first day of the week is the Lord's day. He knew, as we should know, that he didn't give this day to the Lord. He knew, as we should know, that we didn't assign this day to the Lord. He knew that this was God's day. He knew that whether he recognized, are you listening? He knew that whether he recognized it or not, this day belonged to God. You see, the truth is, the truth is, I asked this question in my study, and I ask it to you again. Do we actually recognize this day as God's day? Or is this just the day we attend services and go to church and do our religious things? According to what I read in Scripture, we don't give Him a day. It's His. So the question is, so the question is, do we, do we honor His day? Or do we see it as a day that we don't have to go to work? Or do we see it as a day as part of the weekend? Or do we see it as a day that we can kind of go do what we want to? If we have nothing else to do, then we can come to services. 
I will end with this. This was his day before you were born, before I was born. And it will be his day when you're dead and gone. And you and I are going to have to give an account of what we did on his day. On the Lord's day. Then he says, on the Lord's day, that was his priority. I was in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit. What a place to be and what a time to be there. On the Lord's day, being in the Spirit, what a place to be. How did it happen? Well, I can assure you it wasn't by accident. I can assure you that it was intentional. He intentionally recognized the day as belonging to the Lord. And so in the deepest desires of his heart, he purposely sought God and the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you, my heart aches today as a pastor that's on the back nine. got more days behind it than ahead. My heart aches today as a Baptist because it seems to me that we have dismissed the concept that we could, that we should, that we can live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and move in the Spirit. Where, the, where we know and people around us know that we are filled with the Spirit, that we have fellowship with Spirit, and that our days are directed by the leadings of the Spirit. I want you to just consider this. I dare say that this day was, not, was likely not the only day John was in the Spirit. It is more likely that this day of him being in the Spirit was an overflow from his daily walk previous days. It's his priority. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. Now watch this. This is gorgeous. And I heard a loud voice. You see, his priority was to hear from God. So he obeyed God, and he sought God, And God responded. Why? Because he had been obedient and he was desirous. You know, when you want something from someone, (laughs) when you want someone for some, when you want something for someone, you know what you do? You do what they ask you to do. You do what they ask you to do. For instance, I know this. I know that all teenagers today have their own cars. I don't even want to ask how many of folks over 50 had their own car until they were out of high school because we generally depended on dad. Could I get an amen? We depended on dad. And you say, Dad, can I borrow your car Friday night? And dad would look around and go, Yard needs mowing. Now, did he tell me to mow the yard? It depends on which generation you're in. The younger generation go, no, he just told you the yard needed mowing. The older generation catches the message, if you want to borrow the car on Friday night, you have the grass mowed by Friday. Amen? Amen. 
And you see, the truth is, uh, that may be oversimplistic for how God works, but make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. Is that if we want the Lord to bless us, we're going to have to do like John. What did he do? He honored the Lord on the Lord's day. He invited and he invoked the Spirit to be in him. That's the post-resurrection. He's inviting the Spirit. And what followed was that the Lord spoke to him. Spoke to him. Did y'all get that? Spoke to him. I don't want to ask the question. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Have you ever really heard God speak to you? I have. On a number of occasions, and I'll not get into all of them, but I want to give you one. January 1991. Deborah and I were living in, in Pensacola. I was serving as minister of music at Myrtle Grove Church there, my last music position. On this Saturday night, I was in a hotel room in Houston, Texas. Every January, J&J Music, Jerry and Jackie Evans owned J&J Music. They would have a conference at the Galleria in Houston. Start on Monday and run through Thursday. And as a matter of course, for the last eight or ten years, I would fly out to Houston on Saturday. Now, why did I go on Saturday? Because I could save up to 70% on the airfare if I took in a Saturday night. Some of you will remember that. And I'd fly out to Houston check in a hotel, and most times I would catch a movie or, or see some of the guys for dinner. But this night, I grabbed me a quick dinner, and I came to the, to the hotel room. And on Sunday, by the way, I'd visit First Baptist, Second Baptist, and Champion Forest to see and things. It's just a professional day. And I was sitting on my bed, and I was reading the Bible, and I heard, I want you to preach the gospel. I'm going to tell you the truth. And he may have. He may, I may get to eternity and may say this one day. And I said, you're kidding me. Do you know who you're talking to? He did. Y'all do know that, don't you? Do you know how much talent I have? And you know what I discovered? The reason he called me to preach is because in my weakness, he's made strong. Not in my strength. Some people will go, Brother Jerry, I don't believe that. Was that an audible voice? And here's what I'm going to tell to everybody in this room. It was not audible. It was a lot louder than audible. I couldn't miss it. Now, let me be clear in case you go out here and say something that I didn't say. God will never speak a word to you that will contradict the Scripture. The Scripture's closed. It's the canon. It's closed. But he certainly will speak to you. And he will call you to be saved. He will call you to serve. Ben's back today. It's good to see him home from seminary. He called Ben to serve. Other young men, young ladies, God will speak to you if you put yourself in a position for him to call you to service. God will speak to you and he'll be clear if you will hear. Are you listening? The Bible says God will be found by those who seek Him. Not by everybody, by those who seek Him. Seek the Lord while He may be found. You will seek and find me when you seek me with 
Anybody know? All your heart. Not a part of it. Not some of it. Not in your spare time. It's, the Bible says God will be found by those God will be with those who want to be with him. In fact, it says, I will be with you, Tim, if you want to be with me. But if you abandon me, I'll abandon you. The Bible says God will speak to those who will listen. When we get to chapter 2 and 3, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. My question today, brothers and sisters, is are you listening? Do you listen for his voice? Will you listen for him? Listening, an ear to hear, only comes through and after and as a result of repentance and confession. Brother Jerry, what's the difference? Confession is agreeing with God that you have sin. That's confession. Repentance is turning from that sin. When John's priority got to be the Lord, he heard the voice and he turned to see the voice. You know what I've wondered? When he heard the voice and he turned to see it, I wonder if he thought, man, that voice sounds familiar. That voice sounds familiar. You know why? It's because he turned, and what we can live from here is the picture that he painted for us. The picture that he painted for us. Now, he turned, and make no mistake about this, he turned and he saw Jesus. Make no mistake, this was the same Jesus that he had walked with. This was the same Jesus. He had seen heal the sick, raise the dead, give sight to the blind, cast out demons. It was the same Jesus he saw feed the hungry, had compassion on the multitude, walk on water. It was the same Jesus that John had literally, literally sat by at that last supper and leaned on his shoulder because they were such good friends. It was the same Jesus that a little later he saw dying on the cross. It was the same Jesus that he saw resurrected from the dead. It's the same Jesus that he watched ascend back to heaven. It's the same Jesus that he was up on that mount called Transfiguration. And he, with Peter and James, saw Jesus not be incarnate, but to be glorified. It was the same Jesus. Now, in just a second, I'm going to offer you a very poor visual, but I want to do it because I want you looking. I want you to look in. It was on the Lord's Day when John was in the Spirit that he heard a voice and that he turned to see Jesus. Can you imagine what it would have been like around his little campfire to witness this? To witness this? Can you imagine the impact of seeing Jesus? He's all alone on the island. This wasn't Jesus. This wasn't Jesus' incarnation. It was Jesus' glorification. Look at the look up there and follow along just for a second. The robe reached to his feet. That's that means he's our interceding peace. Priest, he's, he's at the right hand of God. Romans and Hebrews tells us that. Look at the gold band around his chest and his stomach, his thoracic cavity. 
The truth is that means he's the judge and he's the king with all authority. Matthew 28, he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. His hair is white as wool, white as snow like wool. He's the ancient of days. He's the unchangeable one. You can look at Daniel 7. Now here's where they couldn't do on picture do it justice. But, but John said he had eyes of fire, fiery eyes. Speaks of his judgment. He'll judge in holiness, and everybody will know that it's right. But let me tell you about those eyes of fire. Some of you remember seeing Superman with that X-ray vision. This will be more powerful than the X-ray vision because he will not just look through some things. He will look through who you are and look to the very core of your soul, what you really believe, what you really do, what you really think, to your true self. The feet are fiery brass, refined in a fire. It speaks of his purity, his holiness. And the fact that brass endures forever. We've already talked about his voice. I heard the voice. One place is called like a trumpet. Another place is called like cascading waters, running waters. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls or heard any of the video there, that's a roar that just won't stop. It's overwhelming power and it demands attention. Then if you look in his right hand, you look in his right hand, you'll see those seven stars. He speaks of those seven stars as they're the angels of the church. Most people believe that's the pastors of the church who are serving by divine appointment and speaking God's message to the people that need it. The countenance of his face is like the sun glorified. I reminded in Exodus 34 where, where Moses came down from the mountain and they couldn't, he had to cover his face. And then you can see, you might can see, <clears throat> that coming from his mouth is a two-edged sword. That speaks of the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 4. It's the absolute of the universe. Listen, brothers and sisters, there may be people in this room that don't believe the Bible is God's holy Word. More power to you, but you will one day. Because it is the absolute of the word. John said, when I saw him, <clears throat> why did you take all this time? I want you to get, to, I want you to get what, what John was going through. When I saw him, you know what he did? That's our fourth picture. It tells about posture. It tells about posture. He said, I fell down like a dead man. When John saw the glorified Jesus, his response was the same as Isaiah's was in Isaiah 6. You know what Isaiah said? I am unworthy. I am unclean. I am undone. In the presence of God. By the way, when he looked, I think the reason that he fell down, this is just my personal opinion, is that it took his breath away. He was so taken that he, was, he fell down and was afraid to move. Think about John's journey. He's already said on the Lord's Day, I was in the Spirit. He was already in the Spirit. And now he encounters the glorified Christ. And he falls on his face, which is the appropriate place to be in the presence of Jesus. It's not popular today. 
but our knees on our face. Some denominations will push you and let you lay down on your back. I don't find that in Scripture. When you fall down before the Lord, you fall down on your knees, on your face. Aaron and Moses in Numbers 16 and 20 fell on their face when they had problems with the people. And they fell on their face in abject, are you listening? Humility at the glory of God. Elijah on Mount Carmel, he and all the people fell on their faces when they saw the fire fall from heaven. When John was with Peter and James on Mount of Transfiguration and the voice spoke, they fell on their face. Two times in the book of Revelation. Two times. All the inhabitants of heaven fall on their face to worship him. And in this room, there's probably some go, that's fine, Brother Jerry. I'll kneel to nobody. You don't know who I am. I don't kneel to nobody. Let me just say this to you. Your issue's not with me. It's with him. And one day you will kneel. And I don't believe that God's going to come up God's going to come up to Eric and slap him on his face make it like he did Paul off the donkey. I don't think that's... I think you got it the wrong picture. Here's what's going to happen. When you finally get the picture, when you finally see the view of this God that preachers have been preaching about and the Bible has been speaking about, you will see who he is and you will see who you are and you will fall on your face embarrassed that you didn't recognize him for who he is. You see, folks, when we get a firsthand, fresh view of sovereign God, our response will be like everyone we read about who see him. You'll fall on your face because you know you're unworthy. How awkward it might be if your pride has keep, kept you from fallen before him. Not just, just just your pastor's thought. I'm not sure how somebody can be saved without coming before him humbly. I'm not sure how someone can be saved if they hang on to their pride because James tells us God stiff arms the proud. So here's the thing. John's on his face. You have a picture in your mind of the glorified Christ, that, and he's on his face. And the last thing that I'm giving you is the powerful message Jesus left. Watch this. With John on his face, he reached out his nail-scarred hand, his right hand, and he laid it on him. It's as, it's as if to say, it's okay because he said, don't be afraid. You see, I am the first. I'm going to be the last. I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to it all. And I think in that touch, John knew just how much Jesus loved him. And now John was ready to pin, to 
to the churches the message for all eternity. And when God, when our Lord Jesus touches you, you'll be ready to share the message for all eternity because in the presence of deity and your heart and life are humbled and Jesus puts his hand on you, he will draw you to himself. And that's what we can learn from John today. Let's pray together.